Hello and welcome to Book Lovers Companion. My name is Edith and right next to me is my lovely co-host, the Chattering Teacup. Hello. And dear listeners, we are back in Iceland and our guest in this episode is crime fiction writer Johan Thorsson. Hello and welcome at Book Lovers Companion. Hello, hello. Thank you for having me. Thank you for being here, Johan. So, let's dive right in, shall we, Teacup? Yep. Your first, your first novel... Your crime fiction novel or crime thriller novel came out last year. Yes. But before that, you have published short stories. Yes. Mm -hmm. uh, a number of short stories. Yeah, I found them in three published anthologies. One was published in 2015, uh, The Apex World in Sci-Fi. Is that correct? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. The Apex Book of mm -hmm. SF. Mm -hmm. Volume 4 and Garden of Fiends, Tales of Addiction Horror. Ooh, in 2017, mm -hmm. and Not Your Average Monster, Volume 2, A Menagerie of Wild Beasts in 2016. Before we dive into your novel, why horror? I've always been fascinated by being safely scared, that makes sense. <laughs> yeah. Yes, since, it does. I don't know, ever since, I don't know, seeing Jaws when I was too young, or The Shining, maybe. And so whenever I read something, the thing that interested me most, I guess, was horror uh, ever since I was young. Uh, I remember so. I I moved to Israel when I was nine years old. Mm -hmm. And I remember in English class, I was writing stories and I always wrote something terrible, monster in a maze, killing <laughs> children or something, but all in an effort to learn English. So I guess horror is, it's fun. Hmm. I guess also the popularity of Stephen King uh, mm -hmm. has to add. I have two older brothers, so I had access to movies I wasn't supposed to see and books I wasn't supposed to read. And Stephen King was definitely one of those authors. Mm -hmm. Does it also have a little bit to do with uh, Iceland itself, maybe? Or not know, at yeah, all? Maybe it might. I mean, here we treat treat ghosts as if they exist, mm -hmm. or or yeah, we make fun of like maybe it was a ghost. I guess people do that everywhere in Iceland, though it's a part of the culture, yeah, part of our history. We learn about famous ghosts, mm -hmm. and other than that, I don't think Iceland has a lot of horror. We have certainly have long history of of all sorts of stories. Mm -hmm. Horror is not very prominent, though. Hmm. Interesting. So you have to make up your own stories. Yeah, I mean, well, Iceland has, has a long history, I guess. As soon as people set foot in Iceland, they started writing books and like the sagas and, and all sorts of stories. So we've had them for a long time. And books are a very big part of the culture here still. Christmas is in Christmas unless you give, give and get books. And I always just liked the horror ones. Oh. Okay. And coming to your first novel, it's called White Sands, A John Dark Case. It was published, like I said, in September 2021. It's a crime thriller. And mm -hmm. I would also say it's a crime thriller with a hefty dose of the supernatural. Yes, that's very fair to say. <laughs> and also the name of the main character, oh. John Dark, tells us a lot about him. Because he seems to live in a very dark world. Mm -hmm. Well, uh, yeah, after, he's a police detective in the United States. So, of course, he's in the homicide department. So his world is very dark. I don't remember where the name popped up. But as soon as it did, I googled immediately. Mm -hmm. Someone has to have used this name, is what I thought right away. Mm -hmm. It's so good. It's even just the sound, John and Dark, the, the strong sort of D at the beginning of both words. I thought someone, this character has to exist in something, <laughs> but he didn't. No one had used a character named John Dark. And not just the name. I mean, like you said, it's it's a dark it's a dark tale, your, your, your plot, your story. And I also mm -hmm. got the impression while reading the book, it felt a bit like those TV shows where, although it's not set in Iceland, like I said, it's set in the United States. It's always a 
bit on the dark side in so far as you have a feeling as if everything happens in the twilight mm -hmm. uh, and in the dark, not just the twilight, in the dark. Mm, so what was, was your idea behind that or, or writing it that way or, or did it just came out that way? It didn't accidentally come out that way. I'm a big fan of the movie Seven. Mm -hmm. and, and I've heard that authors should stay away from things they take inspiration from while they write. I'm sort of the opposite of that. I mean, I watched the movie four or five times while writing the book. So it takes place, I would say, in the same sort of world as, mm -hmm. as the movie Seven. I mean, Seven is not set in any particular city, mm -hmm. but you get a feeling it's New York City or maybe Los Angeles. And it's always raining. It's always dark. Everything is, is terrible. <laughs> the book is set sort of in the same uh, sort of mystery city in the United States. Mm -hmm. It's very heavily influenced by the, the atmosphere of Seven mm -hmm. and sort of TV shows like True Detective. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, not so much the Icelandic crime series because they are so heavily set in Iceland. Mm -hmm. And I, I didn't want the book to be set in Iceland. I think the way the story develops and is, and is written, it, I think it wouldn't fit in, in Iceland. Would it? No, you couldn't do it. No one goes missing for two years in Iceland without a trace. It oh. just doesn't happen. Oh. There was a recent case where a, woman, a girl went missing and they had found her and the people who she was, sadly, she was uh, taken and killed. They had found them and arrested them within like 24 hours. Mm -hmm. yeah. So people, and if you disappear and no one knows anything, it's, it's probably because you fell into the ocean. Mm, yeah. it's, or in the lava pit, maybe? No. <laughs> no. <laughs> Those are always in very touristy areas, so oh. someone would see. Okay, yeah. yeah. Mm. Or maybe some tourists get, get go missing there, but nobody cares. Oh, that's an idea. <laughs> <laughs> Better not go there. <laughs> <laughs> and like you said, uh, it couldn't happen in, in, oh, you couldn't have said it in Iceland. And your character, John Dark, I mean the name, and it's perfectly fitting. Also, his, let's shall we call it past, or the baggage he's carrying around with him is a rather dark one, isn't it? Mm -hmm. Yeah, it, it, the name is maybe a little bit too on the nose, as they say, having been called John Dark, but he explains, he explains the name Of course, later in the mm -hmm. book, he mm -hmm. says why why his name is John Dark. Yeah. yeah, I didn't. I liked the name so much. I didn't want to change it, even though it, it's almost too much. <laughs> <laughs> and what about his package? I mean, we, we do not want to give away uh, too much. It's not just his package, but his partner, Monique. They, um, they fit perfectly together. Mm -hmm. But she also carries a lot of baggage with her. How did that mm -hmm came to you or how did you find those those backgrounds for your it's characters similar to his but in a different way in a different way yeah yeah yeah. they both have uh without giving too much away they both have missing daughters or although they are missing in different ways yeah. uh so the the way that the way that both characters came to be is sort of um the answer to where do writers get their ideas originally the book was about Daniel, who is oh, okay. secondary character in the book. Originally, it was supposed to be about him, a man with schizophrenia who sees ghosts, or maybe sees ghosts. We can't, we can never know because he himself can't discern between what's real and what's not. Yeah. So the book was about him, and then I discovered that there had to be, there had to be an actual murder case for him to say that he knew the solution to. Then I had to add a police officer. And so I started writing a crime where a police officer sort of 
enters uh, a house where there's been a, a murder. And John Dark sort of just walked onto the scene complete. Mm. There was a time when I sort I he's, he appeared on the scene and he's a black man and I decided to keep him a black man. That's the first way I saw him. Mm. I've often thought he I, maybe I should have made him white because I'm white and who am I to write a black character? And then I went back. Who am I not to write a black character? There's enough white older detective men in the world. I'll keep him black and I'll make uh, race a part of the book. So when he he appeared he was almost a complete character his daughter was not missing in the first the first time i wrote him but it came later i needed him to have all detectives have some baggage usually they have a drinking problem i didn't want to give him a drinking problem <laughs> that too is too it's the cliche i tried tried having his daughter missing i took it out and then i put it back in and it just sort of made his worldview makes sense. The way he thinks that everything is horrible. Sort of like Morgan Freeman's character in Seven. Although he's not modeled on that character. Mm -hmm. They are totally different. But mm -hmm. his worldview, sort of, that mm -hmm. the world is a horrible place. But Monique, think... yeah, I was going to say Monique was a little bit different. The scene where she comes home and someone has broken into her house. At first, it was supposed to be exciting. There was someone in there and she was supposed to fight them to show how different she was from John Dark. She would pull a gun and shoot the guy. John Dark hates guns. But then I thought, no, it's also sort of strange. And again, her daughter being a drug addict and doing what she did sort of just appeared. Oh, mm -hmm. So the answer mm -hmm. to the question, where do writers get their ideas? Uh, I get them when I'm writing. Mm -hmm. Just I write, a detective walks on, he looks like this, and then I'm like, oh, maybe his daughter is... And it just it flows as I write. It doesn't strike me in the shower or while I'm outside walking. <laughs> <laughs> I come to think of it, um, missing girls are a lot of driving factors in the book. Mm -hmm. Any reason why? Or does it just appear in your head? So, sadly... Girls go missing much more than boys. And in the United States, it's often women of color and they are ignored. I touch a little bit on it in the book, but the actual statistics are just staggering. If a blonde young white girl goes missing, it's all over the news. If a teenage black girl goes missing, it's maybe on the paper in the neighborhood on page seven. Oh. So there is definitely a... a disparity between the way missing children are treated depending on their skin color. Uh, and I wanted to touch on that. When the girl Alice, in who's in White Sense, when she goes missing, everything is turned upside down. Mm -hmm. yep. John Dark's daughter goes missing. Mm -hmm. It's a few weeks and mostly because she's a policeman's daughter. That's mm. what makes it interesting. But then everyone just loses interest except for him. Mm. It's a cliche I try to avoid though. Mm. I mean, missing and dead women is a cliche in crime Fiction. Yeah, but I would say it ties your characters together, doesn't it? I yeah. mean, uh, John and Monique and also the plot itself. Mm -hmm. yeah? And I also wanted to ask you, do you think or, do you, or did you feel that setting also the book in the United States gave you more freedom in developing characters in a different way and so on than if you have written a story set in Iceland not just that story any story uh yes it does because you can put you can put anything you want in the United States as long as you don't mention the specific places mm -hmm. in Iceland people either know the place mm. or they know that it's not a real place and they know it right away mm -hmm. so if I said it's a school it's a boarding school and it's called this Immediately, everyone knows there's no boarding school with that name in Iceland. But when you're reading a book and you hear a name of a boarding school in the United States, you go, yeah, maybe it exists. Mm -hmm. It doesn't matter. Mm -hmm. But if it's set in Iceland, you check mm -hmm. to see you. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, and especially Icelandic readers. Mm -hmm, yeah. And there, but there's there is still a little bit of Iceland in your story, isn't there? <laughs> yes, I cheated. I put a little bit of Iceland. <laughs> I put one of our. It's 
a stain on Iceland's uh, rather sort of, what should we say, there's a, there's a myth or a, not a myth, there's, there's a way we talk about uh, women's equality in Iceland that's put on a pedestal, mm. that we are the most the nation with the best women's equality and, and everyone's equal in Iceland. But during the Second World War, just mm. after, uh, women who fraternized with American and British soldiers, they could be put into a home just so if i don't like my neighbor let's say she's a woman 20 something if i don't like her for whatever reason i could have at that time in like 1944 45 called the police and said she had an american soldier visiting they would take her away for being promiscuous and put her in a home the homes were terrible uh, even today we don't know the complete story of these homes they were way out in the country mm -hmm. uh, women could be put there just with a simple phone call uh, for being promiscuous and dangerous to the sort of collapse of Icelandic society. Uh, they were put in homes, they were mistreated terribly, probably and, in many ways. And it wouldn't have happened to her if she had relations with an Icelandic man? No. Amen. It was, they called it the situation. Yeah. <laughs> was was uh, Well, Reykjavik was... Reykjavik and many parts of Iceland were, of course, filled with American soldiers, and the patriarchy didn't want them talking to them, much less sleeping with them or kissing them. And the only solution the people at the time found was to take them away and put them in homes or, or call them names. And mm. so they were mm -hmm. both shunned by society and taken away and put into homes. Mm -hmm. And, of course, one of the women in the book has been fraternizing with an American soldier and is, is well, a person of, of low standing in society because of it. And if they had children, would they have been adopted? into uh, society then by people from Iceland or would they have also been put into homes as well? No, they would have been adopted. They would have been made to be adopted by the woman's family. Mm. The identity of the father, would they would try to say he the, the child was fathered from an Icelandic man mm. just because they would be ashamed mm. otherwise. Or they put put in foster care out in the countryside. Okay. It was a thing of the past where children would go into the country, both for learning how to work, learning how farms work, and also children that had parents who couldn't take care of them were often taken away and put out in the countryside on a farm where people could take care of them. Mm. Often they were nice farms, often they were terrible places. Mm. Knowing what happened to them is important, isn't it? That also brings us yeah. to one of the, oh, what would you call it, teacup? We talked about it today when we spoke about the book, because there is this wanting to know. It's not knowing. Not it's, knowing. It's the worst. And, this yeah. can happen and, to, yeah. in any regard to, to yeah. yeah, so the difference between John and Jonelle in the book, so of course she is totally consumed by hate and sort of becomes this terrible spirit. And he learns in the end that he he has to be careful not to let that happen to him. That's sort of his learning curve through the book. And isn't that what makes it so awful? I mean, especially for parents not knowing mm -hmm. what happened to your child. Is she still alive? I mean, I suppose that's what is driving John. Not, not just finding his daughter, but just knowing what happened yeah. to her, no matter if she's mm -hmm. still alive or not. Yeah, I imagine. I imagine that's all the time. That's all you think about. Yeah. It's all consuming. There's, yeah, there's a, a when they the phone that they keep mm -hmm. yeah. that he says that he always hoped would ring and still he hated it every time it rang. That's an actual. I don't remember the podcast. There was a missing child and they had the phone there and all sorts of people would call and say, "I saw her here," or especially so. I have an special sort of mistrust and distaste for mediums and spirit people who pretend they can talk to spirits and i hope that they are they get sort of it i hope i make it clear in the book what i think of them yep. Yep. and so in this in this 
podcast, which was a true thing. Mediums would call the family and say, I know where your daughter is. She's in an attic with a man who drives a black car or whatever. And and would cause the family terrible pain calling in nonsense. Mm-hmm. I actually went to... There's a there's a scene in this book where a girl goes to a medium mm-hmm. sort of spiritual evening. I went to one of those here in Iceland mm-hmm. just as as uh, to study or and get background for for a character mm-hmm. and a séance, I guess you'd call it. And it's I mean it's fun, but it's of course total nonsense. And the the, the other people who attend aren't they full of hope? Yeah, yeah, of course. But they are hoping to get a message. They are hoping that their loved one is still alive. And of course they hang on to anything that the medium says if the medium Mm -hmm. says yes i know where your sister is she's fine she's in a farmhouse in switzerland or whatever of course you want to believe it but the medium is just spouting nonsense yeah i think this brings us to another character daniel hope Mm -hmm. um he has a positive outlook because of his name yeah Um, but he gives hope but i think he doesn't have some yeah i guess you could say that he is sort of his life was just about to take off when he falls prey to schizophrenia or, or when the schizophrenia sort of hits him. And he is always sort of willing to to look at life as positive as he can, knowing that he can't trust anything. But yeah, and I, I also think his name is, again, maybe a little too much. But in the mm-hmm. end, I didn't want to change it. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he is he is was supposed to be the main character of the book. Mm-hmm. And people tell me after reading it, like, I hope he's in book two. <laughs> I really like him. A lot of people really like him more more than I thought. Because mm, yeah, he, I think he seems nice. Yeah. And mm. he he's not responsible for the situation he's in. Yeah, and he's not malicious. No. he's He has no yeah. second agenda. He's not malicious. He just wants to cope with life and get... Somehow get rid of those. Just take, yeah. just take the ghost and, and please leave me alone. Yeah. Yeah? And yeah. I, <laughs> at the end, I had an idea how he could appear in, in, in the next book, but I don't want to go into it here. <laughs> we'll write the second book together. <laughs> <laughs> she, just one idea. So are you, have you started on the second one? Yes, yes, I have started on the second one and it's going well. I'm very happy that people who read... Who read White Sand, they tend to tell me that they like it and that they are waiting for the second one. And I yeah. I don't think they are just being polite. No. I, no. Think, no. I think they are actually people who want to read book two. Uh, but definitely, because you left us hanging there. Yeah, I did. Yes. But he, he threw us a lifeline. <laughs> he did, yes. And of course we do want to read. Unexpected one, but yeah. Mm-hmm. Good one. What will happen in the next book, mm-hmm. of course. And also what will happen with your characters. Mm-hmm. Oh, well, yeah. I'm absolutely looking forward to that. We also were wondering, or we were, was a bit puzzling, you did write this book in English. Yes. Yes. Oh. It's written originally in English. Yeah. Like I said earlier, I moved to Israel when mm-hmm. I was nine years old. And I went to an American school. Mm-hmm. And I was there for four years. And then I moved to Croatia for another three years and went to an American school. Mm-hmm. So by the time I was 16, I'd spent what more than half of uh, my young schooling in American schools. So I knew English just as well as Icelandic. And it was also just a little easy math. If I write a book that's really successful in Iceland, I can buy a dinner. If I write a book that's really successful in the English-speaking world, I never have to worry about money for dinner again. But that is true. So did it, did it, well, has it been published in Icelandic at all? No, it has not. No, has not. Okay. Uh, my agent is trying to sell it here and to get translated in Iceland. Mm-hmm. Okay. And would you do the translation or someone else? Uh, I don't know. Okay. I mean, I could do the translation, but it takes time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I might. It might make more sense to spend time writing book two rather than translating this one. Yeah. 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 
That's true. And the cover of the book, it's all—it's also a little bit creepy on the creepy yeah, side. It fits to the book. Yeah, it fits. Yeah. It does fit. I wanted, I didn't want the typical crime sort of cover. Mm -hmm. Like it could have been a photo of a girl with her back turned to you, oh. large, large yellow letters that, yeah. and then rain or something. Yeah. Like so many crime mm -hmm. novels are. Yeah. And I actually worked with the designer on getting mm -hmm. the cover. He made some suggestions and sort of, it was supposed to be, there was supposed to be another red part here. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And I ultimately said, no, make it completely white. There's mm -hmm. so few completely white books. Yeah, yeah, that's true. It stands out. Like you said. It almost seems creepy, cover. It does, it does. Yeah. But like you said, it's absolutely fitting. And yeah. the girl with the back turn, like you said, there are it's so many of that. One in a million. It's one in a million, exactly. Yeah. This but one stands out. Absolutely. I put it on a table in a bookshop. Ooh, what's that? Absolutely. Mm -hmm. And you said, Daniel, in, in the original version of the book, Daniel was your main character. And you changed it, or you made him not the main character, but you made John Dark the main character. Was that completely... Your idea, or did you get also get input from an editor to do it that way? It was completely my idea, but it took a long time. Mm -hmm. So the, I started writing with sort of purpose back in 2008, I think. And so I wrote the first chapter of this, which was just a Daniel Hope chapter. Mm -hmm. And I thought, okay, I need to know how to write. And then I started writing short stories, mm -hmm. went to a short story writing course here in Iceland, wrote short stories in Icelandic and was lucky enough to get published here. Then I started writing short stories in English because I always meant to write the book in English. Mm -hmm. And I mean, years later, I went back to this book because I intended to write this book, not short stories, because mm -hmm. short stories are uh, some of them pay a little bit, mm -hmm. but you can't really make a career of writing short stories mm -hmm. unless you're Neil Gaiman or George Saunders. <laughs> I think there's George Carol Oates, maybe. Mm -hmm. I don't know how many, how many writers have careers of short story fiction. So um, uh, I went back to this and decided that I needed a detective. Mm -hmm. yeah. At times they were like 50-50 and then I thought people would rather read. I also made some decisions with sort of the market in mind. Mm -hmm. People would rather read books where the detective is the main character and the strange schizophrenic who sees ghosts is secondary. Mm -hmm. It would be a completely different book for a completely different market if it was the other way. Would it involve uh, and so, it, yeah, and I went through seven rewritings, I think. More difficult to write it from Daniel's point of view because of the schizophrenia and I think maybe involves more research how to portray him. Probably, yeah. And I would have to have someone, if that was the main thing, I would have to have someone with sort of uh, a deep knowledge of schizophrenia to fact check everything and make sure it was okay. Uh, I just bought a really big book on schizophrenia and read it and took sort of the tidbits from it, like the mm -hmm. fact that schizophrenics are, are much, much more likely to be victims of crime mm -hmm. than perpetrators of crime. Like the nurse says, sort of near the end of the book, says it's a myth that schizophrenics yeah. commit crimes. Yeah. It's like, I don't know, they are... Schizophrenics tend to be homeless and sort mm -hmm. of the strange people you see on the streets because they don't get the help they should be getting, mm -hmm. much more likely than crazy people who commit crimes. Uh, and the book would be totally different. Mm. And you also said you started the first chapter, then you went to writing short stories. Would you say that writing short stories helped you develop and hone your craft as a writer? Uh, yeah, definitely. You need to you need to start somewhere and writing short stories and submitting them to journals and then getting the feedback is very important for anyone who wants to become a writer. You need 
to be getting feedback. And it's harder mm -hmm. to write a complete novel and then yeah. get the feedback for that. So I wrote short stories, submitted them, let people in a critique circle read them. And yeah, it's like a knife you have to sharpen very much. So, so yeah. I mean, anyone who wants to become a writer, definitely start with short stories and then move on to what you want to do. So you not only train your writing, but also everything else involved in it. In yeah, also atmosphere, pacing, character building within like three sentences to make a character because you don't always have time to write. I mean, Stephen King writes whole chapters just with creating characters. Other people have to do it in three sentences. <laughs> And you said you have you have re rewritten the book, the story, or parts of it seven times. How many pages would you say were there in the end? Were there 4,000? Like we have one writer here in Austria who always says, yeah, I write 4,000 pages and then it ends up with 300. <laughs> Is it like that for you that you say, okay, I write? And as much as I can, and then I will check out, or is it completely different? No, it's totally different. I would write, uh, I don't remember how many chapters there are in this. Let me see. So there's 35 chapters. I think I wrote maybe 40. There's a whole, the, the it used to be structured so that John Dark was being interviewed, and there would be a short interview chapter, mm -hmm. and then like three normal chapters, and another short interview chapter. And the book was set like that. And then in the end, I took out all the interview chapters. I think that's the only thing that I cut. But mm -hmm. what I do is I rewrite chapters over and over again mm -hmm. and I'll go through them so I had the book almost finished and then I got a, a writing residency in Exeter in the UK and I went to Exeter for a week they paid for flights and trains and the apartment so I was in an apartment writing for seven days in Exeter it was lovely I wrote for like 10 hours and then I went to the pub for <laughs> and a drink <laughs> When I repeated it the next day, uh, I gave a talk about Scandinavian crime fiction mm -hmm. at there's a sort of culture house in Exeter. Mm -hmm. And I wrote them a short story that they wrote, put out in a book. Mm -hmm. But that's really where the final version of the book appeared. It then went through one more round of editing before it before it was picked up by a publisher. So it would not be published if I hadn't won the writing residency in Exeter. I don't think I would have. I would have given up. I think. Good that you didn't. Yeah, of course not. And self-publishing wasn't in the book for you. No, because <laughs> it takes so much work to mm. market it yourself. Yeah, mm. yeah, yeah, a lot of work. And people, people pay more attention when you say, "Oh, it's picked up by an American publisher," especially here in Iceland, oh, because it's so unusual that Icelandic people write a book in English and publish it in the United States first. True. What what about the European market? I mean, a lot of your colleagues have been translated into German, for example. I think that will come later. Mm -hmm. So if the, the agent who is American sells it for translation here in Iceland, it might make it easier to then sell it in German and French. Mm -hmm. yeah. But she is an American, so she's mostly focused on the American market. Yeah, it's the bigger market. Yeah. Anyway. Mm -hmm. Definitely. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And But you're right. The, think, sorry. I was going to say, the Icelandic, there's... The Icelandic writers are so popular, so it might help, definitely. especially for Europe. Yes, yes, yeah. of course. I would say so, yeah, mm -hmm. definitely. Yeah, and since uh, also for the United Kingdom, doesn't it? I mean, yeah. not, they don't need to translate it because it's already in English. So. Yeah. Perfect. And what about your writing process in general? I mean, you gave us a glimpse of how it worked with a white sand. So what or how is it your yeah. way of doing it in uh, general? So the, the only time that I have, so I have two kids and a dog. <laughs> and the only time I have to myself is the very early morning. Uh -huh. So the best way I get writing done is to wake up at five and write until like 7.30. Mm -hmm. But from five to like 5.45, your brain mm -hmm. hasn't woken up. <laughs> uh, the best writing time is between six and seven. Mm. 
your brain has woken up, but uh, the rest of the world hasn't. Mm -hmm. True. So you have time for yourself. That's the and I if I manage two or three weeks of that in a row, then I'm getting what I would call work done. Mm-hmm. But then life always sort of interferes. Oh yes, it does. It sounds like yeah. to have to be very disciplined mm. to do that. Yeah, and, but it gets easier. Of mm. course, I would I would reward myself with uh, what they call bulletproof coffee. Do you know what bulletproof coffee is? Yeah. No. It's a cup of coffee and you put disgusting amounts of butter into it. So it's coffee with butter and then maybe coconut oil. Okay. It sort of, I mean, it's it's it wakes you up and the body craves the fat from the mm-hmm. butter it, I, i think it's it's supposed to be a bodybuilding thing oh, okay. but it's so i would when my brain when the alarm went off at five my body would go oh i'm gonna get bulletproof coffee now <laughs> my body would walk by itself into the kitchen mm-hmm. to make the coffee <laughs> give me the fat give me the fat yeah. Yeah. the coffee and the fat yeah yeah it's a way of, of cheating You, you. So the the ritual is getting up and having the disgustingly decadent cup of coffee, <laughs> and you sort of start writing. Oh. So you're not getting up to write; you're getting up for the cup the of coffee. Cup of mm-hmm. Coffee, yeah. And yeah. are you a planner, pencer, or in the middle? Uh, somewhere in the middle. I write faster when I plan, hmm. but sometimes a scene will just sort of appear when I'm writing and it will go something completely different from the plan. Mm-hmm, yeah. There's many chapters in White Sense that are just, were never supposed to be the way they are, but mm. they just sort of happen. Mm-hmm. Like the the meeting with, when they go together to the medium, Kieran and Strange, that just came out of nowhere. And the same with the Alice in Wonderland theme park. Mm-hmm. No, the, uh, not the, the Wizard of Oz theme park. Mm-hmm, yeah. But I actually think there is a Wizard of Oz theme park in the United States that abandoned. Okay. I think it's an actual thing. Mm-hmm, okay. I've never been there. I've never seen photos. I just know it exists somewhere. And what about your advice for other aspiring authors? What would you tell them? What should they do? <laughs> well, they should start writing short stories. <laughs> uh, they should absolutely read. There's a lot of people who say read everything. Read trash and read romance novels and read classics, read the newest books. My advice would be find what really interests you and read mm-hmm. it over and over again. Mm-hmm. Like with, with White Sands, I wrote, I read, there's like, I don't know, there's this book is made up of four other books, mm-hmm. which is Silence of the Lambs, definitely. Mm-hmm. There's a book called Finch by Jeff Vandermeer. He is most known for Southern Reach trilogy, The Annihilation. They made it into a movie. Finch is one of my favorite books. No one I ever meet ever has heard of it, it seems. It's about a detective in a world, in a city, been taken over by mushroom people. The mushroom people are terrible horror figures, tall sort of mushrooms with wide mouths for teeth and they talk weirdly the whole city is sort of infected with mushrooms people get spores in their face and sort of mushrooms start growing and and he's trying to solve a murder and he keeps saying to himself i'm not a detective because he's really not a detective the mushroom people just made him work as a detective to solve this murder so there's a little bit of him in john dark John Dark keeps repeating, I'm not a real detective. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's the same with the detective in Finch. Mm. He's like, I'm not a, I don't want to be doing this. And the sort of atmosphere is also in this. And so rereading books that are that that really speak to you, much more so than trying to read everything, because then you'll never be done. You'll keep reading as a way not to write. Mm. Uh, and that's also something you have to be careful of. You could spend your whole life researching for your novel without writing. So there's, yeah. I know there's a lot of things in this that are not exactly accurate. I just didn't want to keep spending time researching to make sure everything was accurate. And and I allowed myself to cheat because I don't think most people know what's really accurate, how detectives in the United States actually work. So they wouldn't know how to fact check. They wouldn't know it was wrong. If I 
don't know it after sort of rereading lots of books featuring detectives. I don't think a lot of other people would know. Yeah. The only thing people complain about is the politics. I get <laughs> one star and two star reviews that say the book is very good, but he lost me with all the left wing politics. Okay, that's what they focus on. Yeah, so I think that's what they're looking for because mm, if maybe. if the story is good and the story pushes you along and, and, and to read on, it doesn't matter if some facts are not true. I mean, yeah. there's poetic license. Mm -hmm. yeah. I'd much rather read a good book that has some errors than yeah. a yeah. mediocre book that yeah. has everything perfect. Yeah, indeed. And do you ever, oh, um, how shall I phrase it? Do you think there is a danger in emulating other authors when you read? read mm -hmm. the books that spoke to you in the past? Mm, I don't think so. I mean, it would be if someone said, you write like Stephen King or you write like, uh, I don't know, Jeff Vandermeer who wrote Finch, I would just say thank you. <laughs> I mean, I'm, I allow myself to be influenced by their mm -hmm. styles as much mm -hmm. as fits the atmosphere of what I'm writing. Mm -hmm. As long as you're not plagiarizing, I mean, mm -hmm. if you're not taking whole passages, yeah. if you're sort of like writing in the style, I mean, Stephen King, maybe less than other writers, doesn't have a particular style. But I don't know, maybe Chandler has has a style, very particular style. Philip Marlowe and, and all his great detective novels mm -hmm. uh, have a very particular style. It would be okay if someone said, you write like Chandler. I'd mm -hmm. say, well, thank you. <laughs> But if someone said, that's the plot from The Big Sleep, mm -hmm. then, then you'd start mm -hmm. getting problems. Mm -hmm. I think it's okay for writers to allow themselves to be influenced up to the point where they run out of ideas and start just trying to rewrite. I mean, every writer reads Hemingway over and over and over and over again, but no writer is ever accused of trying to be Hemingway. One of my favorite writers is Daniel Woodrell. He wrote Winter's Bone. Did you see the movie or read the book? Mm -hmm. The one Winter's Bone is is fantastic, both the movie and the book. Daniel Woodrell, uh, his mm -hmm. books are seriously good, and he he admits that he read Hemingway over and over in an attempt to learn how to write. And you can see it in places. You see, okay, that's a little bit of Hemingway. Mm -hmm. But I mean, I didn't think it's not like, uh, aha, this is like Hemingway. Mm -hmm. This is not good. Instead, you're thinking, ah, this is a little bit like Hemingway. I think this is good. So I, I just, I don't think writers should be afraid of being influenced. We should only be so lucky to be compared to someone we admire and read over and over. Yeah. I think With time, one maybe develops his own its own style more strongly. Yeah. The more you write, yeah. yeah, of course. And I also want to ask you your characters, your or oh, your main characters. Who's your personal favorite? Uh, I think think John Dark is now, but in the next book, it will probably be Monique Moreno. Hmm. Uh, as as I see the book now, she will have a, a big part of it, mm -hmm. and we learn more about her. Mm -hmm. Actually, I think. I think Moreno in Spanish means dark. So they both, okay. their last names are both dark. I didn't know it at the time. Her name is Moreno because one of my favorite bands is Deftones and the singer is, is uh, his last name is Moreno. Okay. Uh. That's, that's where I took the name from. And later someone said, you know, it's dark in Spanish. Oh. I didn't know that at yes. the time. Uh, but yeah, John Dark is, I like writing him because he is, he doesn't want to believe in the supernatural at all. Mm -hmm. yeah. which is sort of like myself. I'm an atheist. I think all the supernatural stuff is nonsense, but I love horror books. I love fantasy and science fiction. And if something is leading you on, sort of like this first season of True Detective, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. they keep implying that there's something supernatural going mm -hmm. on. Then in the end, there isn't. I was almost let down. I was like hoping for something, <laughs> some supernatural explanation. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, he is, he is sort of like that aspect of myself. 
Mm. I mean, no police officer would ever believe that a ghost was doing anything. Sort True. Of At least they shouldn't. Yeah, yeah, let's it's hope true. they don't. Mm-hmm. Do you see it as a continuing series, or uh, do you think it's maybe two, three, five books? Or uh, right now, I see it as three books. I don't think there's going to be more. Also, but as long it takes me so long to write these that I'll be dead if there's supposed <laughs> to be a book four. <laughs> so does it, does it mean in the next one, the the second book, Monique is just in the focus, and in the third one, Daniel? No, sorry. No. no. <laughs> uh, The second book, as I see it now, it's it's 50-50, John and Monique. Mm-hmm, okay. As in this one, it's she's maybe one-fourth. Mm-hmm, yeah. And it's I know this book changed so much from the original idea mm-hmm. until it was finished. Yeah. Book two will as well. It already has. Okay. But it, I think of it like, like scaffolding on a house when you're trying to oh. build a house. Mm-hmm. So the first, first version you write, you're just putting up the scaffolding, build the house, and then you take the scaffolding away and you have a house. But the scaffolding was the first thing you put up. Mm-hmm. It's oh. sort of like this. you write a first version of a book just mm-hmm. to see what's there. Mm-hmm. Then you take away what doesn't fit and fill in the rest. Yeah, everyone has his own style. So will there also again be this supernatural touch in the second one? Yes. I mean, it it wouldn't make sense mm-hmm. as a series if it was suddenly a straight crime novel. Mm-hmm, yeah. So there will be an element of supernatural. At first, I can tell you a secret now and your listeners. At first, it was supposed to be John Dark tracking down the current god of drugs or god of medicine. Mm-hmm. Uh, he changed into the god of addiction. And there were scenes where he goes into uh, sort of a den, a heroin den. Mm-hmm. People are shooting up with heroin and everything is terrible. And they'd have these vacant stairs and they would talk mm-hmm. about the person who they see just as they inject the drugs. Mm-hmm. And they all described the same person. And John Dark was saying, this must be some yeah. very well-known drug lord, but no one knows his name. And then I was going to uh, contrast that with our addiction to smartphones. So he goes somewhere mm-hmm. and he sees a group of teenagers and they all have the exact same look mm-hmm. staring into their phones. And they would also talk about the same person appearing every now and then. So he would start chasing the god of addiction. But slowly that sort of faded away. I no longer, that's the scaffolding that went yeah. up. Yeah. And that scaffolding has come away. So it's, it's closer to a, a true sort of crime novel. But it's like, I guess the closest would be Seven and Silence of the Lambs if there was a supernatural driver of the killings. Mm-hmm. But I guess both both those have been described as horror. And yeah. even the, the apartment they enter in Seven, do you remember? I don't know when you saw the movie last. Oh, it's a while <laughs> time ago. <laughs> yeah, yeah they... So there's, there's like many doors on the hallway, like because there's so many apartments. The apartment they enter is much bigger on the outside than the space you see in the hallway would allow. So it's, I said, okay, there's a supernatural element because the apartment is, they don't just enter an apartment. They're stepping into some sort of magical hallway. And same with Silence of the Lambs, the way they describe the dungeon underneath the house. Yeah. I mean, it's far bigger than any basement would ever be. Yeah. So both of those have like sort of supernatural okay. elements mm-hmm. to them. Okay. Because even in Seven, they chase him through other apartments. They are much smaller. Thought of that. Lies. Matter to die. Well, matter to die. And Johan, what else can you tell us about your future plans? I mean, book two is in the making as we speak. Book, there will be a book three. Any other future plans? Uh, I'm writing a Scandinavian short story with supernatural sort of elements mm-hmm. under contract. This is, uh, there's a publishing house that makes sort of uh, North American supernatural stories and African supernatural stories and European. And now they're 
chapters uh, Scandinavian. Uh, I think the first draft is due this fall, so that will keep me busy. I have another book uh, for young adults where kids, it's about kids in the dream world trying to save us from the nightmares. The nightmares have taken over and everyone, whenever anyone in the world falls asleep, they have terrible nightmares. No one knows why, but a group of kids have discovered why, but of course the adults don't believe them. So they have to fight the nightmares on their own. This is an idea I've had for, I don't know how many years, 10 years of, or something. Mm -hmm. I'm also working on that. Mm -hmm. It's one of those ideas that I try to abandon, but it keeps coming up. Just mm -hmm. <laughs> a lot of writers have that. Mm -hmm. You can't get rid of it. Can't get rid of it no. <laughs> you have to write it down to be to be rid of it. <laughs> yes, and I was very lucky. My my agent does sort of supernatural crime novels and young adult horror novels. So ah. it was very, very fortunate. Yeah, perfect combination. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And we also suppose that you will be busy uh, during Iceland Noir. Uh, I don't know if I'm attending Iceland Noir this... Mm -hmm. Well, I'll t attend as a guest, mm. at least. Mm -hmm. I was okay. very fortunate last year. White Sands had just been published and yeah. I read it and had a great discussion there. Okay. So I will... I will definitely appear as a guest. Uh, Iceland Noir is a fantastic festival. Mm -hmm. Amazing lineup of guests mm -hmm. just yes. for small, tiny Iceland. <laughs> yes, and unfortunately so far away. Yeah, that's still <laughs> <laughs> <not> a problem. <laughs> well, for us it's a yeah. problem, not for you, of course. Yeah. Yeah. Is there anything else you would like our listeners to know, you would like to share with our listeners? Uh, don't know. I wasn't prepared for this question. <laughs> uh, I don't know. I would challenge them to keep reading and of course mm -hmm. let me know what books especially if they read white sands what books i should read that are similar and i'm always always interested in what people are reading mm -hmm. but i don't know if i can tell you any secrets <laughs> sure you can you can we can we can always cut them out <laughs> <laughs> the secrets i don't think i have anything anything else to share okay that's fine that's wonderful. Teacup, would you like to know anything else from our guest? When's the next book coming out? Yes, when Otherwise. is book, your book two? When it when will it be in the bookshops? Going to take some uh, time. I, I'm guessing mm, 2024. Mm, yeah. Just seeing how slow publishing is. Mm. Publishing is much slower than I thought. Yeah, takes time. And there's always long schedules, and mm. even though books are finished, they are put into a queue of publishing and marketing and timing. It seems fast to get the book written mm. and get it published. Mm. Yeah, and then you can read it in a weekend. Yeah, it, indeed. Yeah, it's yeah. it's the same with cooking. My mother always complained. Ah, oh, it takes me all all morning to cook the meal, and within half an hour you've all, all eaten it all up. Yeah. So, mm, yep. That's it. I sometimes spend two hours cooking, and my children spend two minutes eating. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, but that, it that, means they like it. Yeah. Uh, Definitely. Absolutely. Are there any plans of getting your book made into a film? There are not currently, although I have spoken to... Well, I was lucky that it got an amazing amount of attention really quickly compared to me being an unknown. So I did have two chats with a producer in LA. She read the book. Uh, ultimately, it's in limbo. People say never... Always assume mm -hmm. that nothing will come of producers <laughs> talking to you. <laughs> but, uh, I mean, three separate producers have shown an interest, but there's nothing in the work. Hmm. But there might be. There's always we'll a there maybe. Amazing. Yeah. As for as for our listeners, they can always go to the bookshop and buy the book and read the book and spend some mm, fascinating hours with John Dark mm -hmm. and the Supernatural. It did pushes or it pulls you along yeah. the book. So better start mm -hmm. at the end of the week yep. to have time to read. Absolutely. Yep. Yeah. We can 
only recommend it. Get your fingers on the book and read it. Yes. Absolutely. Yes. Especially now. Holiday time. Time to read, yeah. dear listener. So, Johan, thank you so much for joining us, for making time for us. Yeah, thank you for having me. Pleasure. It was an absolute honor and an absolute pleasure. Thank you. We hope you enjoyed this conversation as much as we did and we'll meet again at Book Lovers Companion. If you liked this ad-free episode, you might consider buying us a coffee or even become a member and listen to new episodes earlier than everybody else. You can do either at buymeacoffee.com slash booklover.com. You can find the link in the description.